Welcome back to Propel, Allen and Overy's podcast addressing all things related to self-driving vehicles. I'm your host, Paul Keller, an intellectual property partner in the New York office. Today, we are joined by Jason Yu, the chief strategy officer for Autocrypt, one of the leading players in transportation security technologies and recognized by TU Automotive as the best auto cybersecurity product solution of 2019 for its V2X in-vehicle security and fleet management solutions. Jason has over 10 years of experience in the cybersecurity and consulting fields for automotive and IoT security, web security, and data encryption. Jason brings Autocrypt's proprietary market-proofing technologies all over the globe and joins us today to discuss what V2X means, why the self-driving industry needs it, and the role that Autocrypt plays. Jason, welcome to the program. Thanks, Paul. Well, as you know, we've touched on V2X communications in this cast before, but with you, we have a chance to discuss it in greater detail. Can you get our listeners up to speed? What is V2X and why does it matter to the self-driving car space? Well, people have a lot of different definitions of V2X, but for me, um, V2X means the ability to communicate between things at a rate that's fast enough to promote vehicular safety. That communications can mean between cars, cars and infrastructure, between cars and pedestrians. But these are all just words, so let me give you an illustration. I think we can really use V2X communication to really cut down or even eliminate the unnecessary deaths that occur on the road. When I look for examples, a lot of accidents happen because of severe weather conditions. Um, out of weather conditions themselves, morning fog seems to be a really formidable culprit. So let's say a, a car is stalled in a two-lane highway in heavy fog. There's another car that's coming up on that car. The person whose car has stalled is outside the vehicle with this mobile device trying to figure out what's going on with this car. I think what we have to remember here is that we're limited to a few senses here. Vision obviously is one, but that's impaired by the fog. And at least some sound for the pedestrian listening or hearing the car that's approaching behind them. In this instance, we'd be limited to the restricted vision due to poor weather. Now, according to the Department of Transportation, the 10-year average between 2007 and 2016 for weather-related conditions resulted in over 1.2 million accidents with over 400,000 persons injured and over 1,500 deaths. The National Safety Council estimated in a report that 42,000 people died in vehicle crashes in 2020, which is an 8% increase. This kind of you know, limitation of our vision, to be kind of really dramatically humble about it, has always been a problem and is continuing to be a problem. Now, this brings us back to V2X. Now, what if V2X communications was involved in this very scenario? The two cars would have been able to alert each other about its location and its status. Perhaps there would have been a roadside infrastructure, a smart signal, any sort of a thing that broadcasts messages. Could have communicated the road conditions up ahead, essentially letting the driver know um, without his eyes what is happening miles ahead. And finally, of course, the mobile device that the pedestrian had could have been used to communicate location for further data. We think that this idea of V2X is using senses that are way beyond what we're using now on the road 
And what does this mean for the self-driving space? Well, you know, no car is an island anymore. The more traffic safety data that it has, the better to promote autonomous driving safety. Connections need to be secure, and that's to promote two things, in my opinion. One is data integrity. In other words, completely trusting the data that's being given to you and the ones that you are sending out, and also for data privacy. And overall, I think trusting a car to be autonomous all by itself as its own self-independent vehicle doesn't make any sense to me anymore. And a big reason, obviously, for this is that cars are becoming increasingly software-based. The car doesn't start its own engine like the Model T did, you know, back in the day. A software component does that. And also, even the most advanced, expensive cars with hundreds of cameras and LiDAR sensors that may not even exist yet, even those kinds of cars can benefit from extracting and using data that's being generated from others. This is for everyone's safety, not just for a person who can afford the most expensive and therefore the most safe you know, cars. That's a highly questionable idea. And the idea of autonomous vehicle driving is to benefit everyone, not just the people who can afford the most expensive vehicles. So when I look at cars, um, and this is an archaic example that's certainly going to date me, <laughs> but it's like expecting an unconnected computer to do cool things without the benefit of a network of other computers or a server that supports it. That's kind of the way I look at cars, the connections, the data that we can provide for each other and that government agencies can provide can be a really important part of what autonomous driving is going to look like in the future. So yes, we call ourselves an autonomous vehicle security company. But we also realize the importance of connected technologies to get us to where we need to go. And the key component of those considerations, amongst the many others, would be B2X. So a couple of questions stemming from that. You focused on the public safety aspect of kind of vehicle-to-vehicle or vehicle-to-mobile-phone communications. And I want to get to in a second about how that kind of is done. Is it some G technology that does that, or is it some other technology that does that? Before we get there, the concept that may first come to mind is being in a congested urban environment and being able to communicate to the things around you um, and maybe things you don't see that are just a few car lengths in front of you, and then allowing the system to kind of react. Is there examples like that that you can provide to give maybe a different perception to our listeners about how V2X can be used? In 2016, we started our first pilot program as the security head for the first uh, so-called CITS, that's Cooperative Intelligent Transport System project. And that was on a highway. Uh, it was about uh, six miles, a uh, variety of different roadside units, thousands of test cars. And then about three years ago, it moved to Seoul. Uh, and that was kind of like a two-track project because they had one that was dealing with the highway component around the Seoul metropolitan area, but also in the inner city, as you mentioned, um, and also bringing buses into the equation so that they could become a part of that as well. So B2X has been pretty heavily tested, especially in Korea since 2016. Has that system evolved where it will recognize a certain amount of congestion and then reroute those cars to a different, less congested route, or are we just not there yet? 
I guess the best way for us to be able to talk about it is it is commercially viable, but it's still acting as eyes for government agencies, if that makes sense. They're using all of these endpoints all over the city to be able to see for themselves what's going on and then take broadcast messages out to deal with those sorts of situations. So that's one of the things I see in the future, but right now they're just being used for broadcast and information receiving purposes. Well, and we'll touch on some of those monitoring and broadcasting issues in just a few minutes. So you're talking about those kind of use cases, but how are these vehicles communicating to the X, to the other car, to mobile phones, to infrastructure? How is that taking place? Is it 3G, 4G, 5G, something else? Can you walk us through that? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a big issue right now. There's been a protocol called DSRC that's been in place for decades. This basically works kind of like wireless communications, Wi-Fi communications, and that's been around for a long time. But in recent years, the cellular giants and the giants that work with them, they've been hitting back hard with CV2X, which is not only do you have V2X, but you also have the benefit of connecting to the the cellular network to gather even more data and to broadcast more data. And that's a struggle for something called the spectrum, which is a frequency that's been used just for V2X for the last couple of decades. So that's the kind of struggle that's coming on right now. We've worked in V2X. We're starting to work with CV2X as well. Uh, the CV2X should be ready to connect in a couple of years at least, I think. so. V2X has already been tested, but now there's, and, and it's really a, a political issue. So the FCC announced last year that V2X and CV2X has to share this spectrum of communications frequencies that can be used for such vehicular communications. That's kind of where we're at right now. So the DSRC, the Dedicated Short Range Communication, does that share the same spectrum or is that particular to a manufacturer? How does that differ? Basically, here's a spectrum. DSRC owned all of it, but now the FCC ordered that more than half has to be dedicated to CV2X. So they're working with a smaller spectrum now. Is there any advantages that one has over the other? It's like anything else. Like V2X is more tested. It's been around for a longer period of time. It's ready to go. People have poured a lot of money and resources and time including our company, into the development of this particular set of communications. You know, connecting to a cellular network does offer its own advantages as well. It just makes that web that we're all connected to just a little bit more fortified. So V2X, especially with the 5G network that will eventually be installed everywhere, will work. Now with CV2X, it's also, you mentioned 5G earlier, until that's available, you really have to rely on LTE. And LTE is just not quite fast enough to be able to handle these sorts of critical information in time. And 5G is the one that has promised that it would offer almost real time. There's that limitation as well. How well will the cellular network be established by the time these CV2X applications are ready? Sounds like we're in a beta versus VHS moment for the communication systems. You mentioned the cars are no longer an island to themselves, and they seem to be getting brighter and brighter every day. How much smarter do you think cars will become, and how does that affect their ability to drive autonomously? 
I think everything's going to become smarter, including cars. You know, just to take one outside example, roadside infrastructure, some people call them RSUs. They're essentially going to be infrastructure provided by some sort of a government agencies to overlook their city or their highways. Even in the most smart cities around the world right now, by government officials in the back end to broadcast important safety traffic messages. We certainly expect these to become smarter. And then I think it's just inevitable that they start making decisions for themselves. So that's kind of like the next wave I'm thinking of. Cars are becoming internally smarter and that's really limited to what the car can see. So, you know, cameras, LiDAR sensors can't really replicate the quality of human vision, but can collect a lot of different data from around it. And that allows it to have a better understanding of its environment. You know, the technology has been around for a long time. It's just a matter of how the market forces play out, making these things affordable at scale. So, you know, those are all things I'm sure that's pretty heavily discussed on this podcast. But cars can also benefit from external communications that make them smarter. You know, cars have to use the outside world to know it better as it moves through the road. Um, but the external communications needs to be trusted. So any communications that the car has with the outside world and the internal software components need to be updated as well. And, you know, the car itself can't do that by itself. So it needs to connect to something um, on the outside to be able to do that. Cars are getting smarter, but I think there's certainly a limitation of how smart a car can get without needing any sort of external data. And I don't see that happening at all because we can all benefit from what's being generated outside our immediate scope. There's a reason why you get a learner's permit to drive. It takes a lot of experience to get better. And so as cars continue to either have actual drive time or simulated drive time and to have that information updated uh, into them, it makes sense. I did know or have heard that one car manufacturer, and I will not name it, but in times of a crisis can actually broadcast a signal that extends the range of their drivable time on a single battery charge. And so the ability to change effectively a bit of a hardware change through a wireless signal through a VDX communication um, is rather remarkable. And frankly, rather brilliant for marketing purposes that these kind of things can happen. But yes, as we all have suffered through kind of updating our phones or updating our devices, that cycle for the cars is certainly here. You have, though, mentioned a number of times now that this VDX communication is used by governments to monitor, see what's going on, and then be able to broadcast that information to the general public. Certainly from my vantage, there are a lot of other potential interested parties who would be interested in these communications as well, uh, not only to get the information, but to drive messages back. Consumers, sellers, buyers, uh, governments certainly. Is there something that's driving VDX for everyone that we can talk about that is important for all of these folks? Or do you think it really is kind of in the hands of government for just monitoring and public safety reasons? I think the public safety reasons is a big one, though, because, you know, although the transport ministers and secretaries from around the world, they get together several times a year, at least they did before COVID. Um, and they talk about how technologies like this one can really result in a much safer roads. You know, you can understand, certainly appreciate like what a high priority that would be for them if they could cut down on the number of deaths and injuries that seem to either be stagnant or increase a little bit each year. 
Now with Thassad, I think all of the other players that can really thrive in this ecosystem, obviously the cellular network operators are the ones who are really looking at a way to have some sort of a technological hegemony over this space. So I think they're certainly interested because they can offer a much bigger web at scale than something like a city government. I don't know, it's hard to predict the future, but I'd say that eventually CV2X is definitely going to be prominent, but local governments will still continue to run the infrastructure that they have built and continue to monitor. It really does, though, drive, no pun intended, towards a conversation about this data, its proper use, who owns it, what can be done, and, and probably coming to a sweet spot of yours in terms of cybersecurity and data privacy. It's very easy to get concerned about all of this information that these cars are picking up about the driver and about its surroundings, about people and things that have no idea they're even being surveyed. Can you kind of walk us through those issues a bit from your perspective as we talk about that kind of the V2X cybersecurity and data privacy concerns? From a cybersecurity standpoint, as long as the international standards for authentication and authorizations are being followed and general network security and the backend, you know, safe practices are being followed, I don't see a lot of cybersecurity issues that the user himself has to concern himself with. All the communications in transit should be encrypted and only sent to those who or that in a machine should read them. I think what you're more talking about is the key issue of data ownership. So if I'm driving down the road, I stop here and I stop there to buy something and I generate all of this data, you know, this is valuable data to advertisers, for example, who gets to collect them and make use of them. I don't know, that's a really complicated question. We thought that it was the person who generates the data should at least have some control over them. So we spun off another company Amo Labs to build a blockchain so that people can collect their own data, put it up on the web, and if people want to buy that data, they can. There's going to be a lot of data that's generated. The question of ownership is something for politicians and the good citizens to kind of figure out. Um, I wouldn't even know how to approach that really important question. But right now, all of the vehicle data that's going to be produced, that's going to go to the OEMs, the way it's set up right now. Other key components is going to go to whoever made them. It's kind of like the wild, wild west, like in terms of data usage and collection and who owns it and where is it stored. It's just an endless rabbit hole. And those regulations continue to be debated and different countries address them in different ways. And that's a challenge, frankly, for everyone in the space. So where does your company fit, though, in that spectrum of data privacy slash cybersecurity? What role does it play? In terms of how we fit in, I believe that we're here to provide solutions, uh, consultation, and or services to secure communication lines between cars and the outside world for all the different sectors. V2X is the one that I talked about the most, but we also provide security modules, uh, communication modules, security software stack libraries, um, even PKI services for vehicle to grid. Um, and that's just the ability to use PKI to charge electric vehicles. And that's exciting to me from a cybersecurity perspective because there's no need for RFID or credit cards anymore. 
And that means the car itself can be something that's authenticated. That's a lot easier to steal a key fob than a car. And this could be a pretty secure way to usher in the future technologies of things like wireless charging or when cars can store energy and feed it back into the electric grid, you know, things like that. Since these are really high risk transactions, it's better to use, you know, really secure communications to be able to achieve these sorts of things. We also have B2D, um, so vehicle to device, working with uh, different communications providers like Apple and Google in something called the Connected Car Consortium, and we're pretty active there. Finally, this isn't a cybersecurity sector at all, you know, like electric taxi companies, for example, or government agencies that want to provide transfer services for the handicapped or pregnant women or a variety of different services. They want to be able to um, not only provide these services, but use the user data to be able to expand their services. So we're doing a lot of fleet management solutions as well. AutoCrypt has been in the business for a long time. We're involved in those four different areas just for the automotive security side. Help us understand, because of course we can read in the news almost daily that mm. some organization has been hacked and some data has been taken and millions of user names and passwords have been stolen and are being held for ransom now. You seem rather confident uh, and comfortable with the security systems that are going to be operating these cars. Can you help us understand where you get that comfort from? Like, Why are you <laughs> so at peace uh, with these cars uh, when it seems like very sophisticated companies are still getting hit with these issues? Oh, that's a fascinating question. Well, in a word, I think it's because we saw the internet era, how it started, how it unfolded, and what it eventually became. Okay, let's say your house is the network, and that's where you run all of your applications and do all the cool things. But a web server is like a wide open window that you open to the outside world in order to benefit from the outside world. During the internet era, we just open the outside window without figuring out, are there any security mechanisms inside my house? Or is there going to be a filter that's going to filter out who are the good guys and the bad guys from coming into my house? Because enterprises wanted the widest open possible without any netting to be able to attract every single customer that can come in and benefit from all that they have to offer. They want it to be open as much as possible. So what we saw a lot of times was these companies that would have a super nice house, really well secured, but they would have this window that's wide open and all this bad stuff is happening inside their house now because you're essentially opening it up. Now, when IoT kind of reared its head, what this essentially meant to me was that not only are you you know, making a link to the outside world, you're going to have little machines outside the house making important decisions for you. I mean, we have so many experts in this field. Uh, you know, people aren't stupid. So they said what they probably notice is that there's more connections. What they're connecting to is providing more critical stuff. It's not just like, uh, you know, Target being embarrassed because they got hacked, you know, on their e-commerce platform. And in some cases, like this could really mean the difference between life and death. 
So the prices got higher, but the temptation to connect to more things and have those things do more things was really compelling. So at that point, the idea now is really to kind of secure with a complete platform and have a accurate and precise access to all of the machines that are working out there for you. And what's one good way to do that is to use an old 1970s technology called public key infrastructure to be able to authenticate and to be able to trust all of these ideas that are out there, um, to be able to send messages back and forth, but encrypt them while they're being transported back and forth. You mentioned earlier that AutoCrypt has been in the industry a long time. Encapsulate for me the key messages for the industry, for consumers. Uh, what would they be? Well, you're a very suave host because that, you know, just what I was talking about right now, secure first and then right is kind of our company logo right now. And we really saw that again with what happened during the internet era, what ideas were coming up to the surface during the IoT era. And then for us, the IoT device that we decided to expend most of our resources was in the automotive sector because cars, yeah, they seem like a life and death instrument, you know, just to begin with, you know, and there was a lot of opportunities to work in this space. So secure first, then ride. Something I've been talking about during this podcast is that connected cars will be a crucial component to autonomous driving. And that's just based on the idea that autonomous cars, no matter how fancy or how high tech they become, they really can't exist without the benefit of having information coming from the outside world. If I want to just talk about a general theme, it's a bit ironic to say, but the independence of the future that's promised through self-driving will have to be founded on a community of drivers, pedestrians, cars, and other machines that communicate effectively with one another. There's a lot of challenges at each step that you just mentioned there that we're all anxiously awaiting how things evolve. Well, let's get into that. And I know you mentioned predictions are difficult. I think it was Yogi Berra who said, predictions are very hard to make, especially when it's about the future. Help us do that. Help us look into the future a bit and the, the oncoming corners for this space. What do you see as coming at us around that corner that you might be able to share with us? It's very New York of you to quote Yogi Berra, by the way. That's a nice touch. <laughs> I, do, I do what I can. Thank you. Um, we already talked a lot about connected cars through V2X. That would definitely be a key moment coming up very soon. Commercial rollouts are starting out in Korea. We're actively engaging in opportunities in the North American countries and trying to get into Europe as well. So, you know, that's really exciting. We're pretty agnostic to either V2X or CV2X, but, you know, we do hope that the struggle can be resolved in a way that benefits everyone. We're just happy to work with everyone and our technology, the way we approach it doesn't really change with the addition of a cellular network. Do you think one country is going to be progressing faster than another? And if so, which country would that be? Korea has been on a pretty rapid pace. We have an autonomous driving licensing facility that opened up three years ago. Infrastructure is constantly being built. But, you know, I think that's also the benefit of having a small country with a strong central government. There's a lot of grants that are being passed out. I think for autonomous driving, the U.S. is certainly on a good pace, but, you know, it has its geographical limitations. When will, like, Miami be connected to Atlanta? I don't know. It's really hard to say. You know, we see it um, certainly progressing. 
but we're agnostic to the two technologies, but VTEX has been in development and testing for the last 15 years or so. You know, it's ready for a commercial rollout. We can absorb CV2X when it comes ready in a few years. Again, these are all political issues, so just waiting to see how it plays out. So that's a key thing that we're looking at in the future. And so any closing thoughts, anything you think our listeners should know about AutoCrypt, the space, what's coming? Overall, what's coming, the machines are getting smarter all the time. So you could insert the Terminator music here. It's really difficult to see a future in which we're not going to be safer. You know, and I think autonomous driving is, is going to be a huge component of that. I try to imagine what cities will look like in 20 years. And it's very exciting to think about, like the layout and just the fact that parking lots won't be you know, necessary anymore. That's going to be huge all that space that we can recreate. And not only cars, but just everything will become smarter. One day they'll start making key decisions in the vehicles, as well as smart traffic signals, for example, and all the different infrastructure that's out there. So they're just going to get smarter. So we might as well take advantage of all of these connections that are going to exist you know, to promote autonomous driving. It's very satisfying to hear someone talk about the future in such positive ways. Not only will the cars be safer, making us safer, but that the communication systems between these cars also will be safer, giving us comfort to be able to use them with some peace of mind. Jason, really appreciate your time today. Look forward to catching up with you in a year or so to seeing how this future has evolved and whether any of your predictions have in fact come true. But until then, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be here.